0: everyone welcome back to a continuation of lucky episode seven so lucky we're gonna have two parts to it here with rock talk on drives with our special guest dave doll as we talk about our installation best practices for bfds hey everybody welcome back and thank you for joining us again dave
1: so we're pivoting from compatibility to the reliability portion everybody that's listening We not only want to have a well-thought-out application and the right size drive, grounded and bonded properly and protected properly. they want it to last a long time, right? So let's talk a little bit about protection of AC drives.
2: This is an important topic. This is the question I pose to my audience when I do these seminars. I go, how long do you want a drive to last? And the response is all over the place. But typical is forever. Right. That's a long time. And we got drives out there that have been running for for dozens of years. And also I get a unusual response of three years. And I go, three years, that's an unusual time period that you want the drive to last. He goes, Well, I'm retiring in three years. (laughs) So all it has to do is last until I'm retired. (laughs) I go, Oh yeah, okay, I understand. So An AC drive is reliable and dependable when it's protected. And a dry system installation that takes into account the environment that it's exposed to will be a dry system that lasts a long time. Installation practices that take into account power distribution systems, characteristic, and the atmosphere environment. So as far as environment, you got to break it down into the power distribution system that it's exposed to and then the atmospheric environment that it's exposed to. So let's talk about the power distribution system environment that exposed to. Remember, and you may recall, adjustable speed drives or variable frequency drives, most of them are connected to the utility power, right? They're exposed to everything that's going on on the power distribution system. I tell people, if you can guarantee that the voltage to the drive you never get a, a short duration interruption or a voltage transient or a voltage sag. You don't have to be concerned about the power distribution system environment that the drive is connected to. It'll run forever. I'm sure we've all experienced just at home, and probably I'm assuming in your factory or your facility or commercial building or, or utility, an electrical storm comes through and you get lights blinking or total power loss, right? A windstorm comes through and blows power lines on top of power lines. So we've all experienced power line distribution systems. And during the life of an adjustable speed drive, it will be exposed to some kind of power line disturbances, either a voltage sag, voltage interruption, a short duration interruption, or a voltage transient. And we need to protect our drives from being damaged by them. Now they can be damaged right away, and you'll know it right away, or there can be some small amount of damage, but they'll still operate, and if they continue to have these voltage disturbances, eventually they fail. Again, drives are connected right to the utility power, and there's all that's connected to them on the other side of the L1, L2, and L3 terminal are these semiconductor devices we call rectifiers. They change the AC to DC and create a DC bus, and then the DC bus is, goes to these capacitors that filter out the DC bus. There's another circuitry in drives, and the terminology drive manufacturers use is precharge, charge pre-charge circuit, you know, sometimes you've heard it, and if you haven't, I just introduce you to that, precharge. What's the function of that? Well, when you apply power to a drive initially, it's rectified and it charges up these filter capacitors and they're quite large. And just by the nature of being large in any capacitor, as soon as you apply a voltage to it, it behaves like a short circuit. Imagine that as soon as you apply power to a drive, it's rectified and it applies voltage across a short circuit. That means coming from the distribution system, the amount of it would only depend upon the size of that power supply, the transformer size. Ah, But drive manufacturers prevent and limit that amount of current through what we call a pre-charged circuit, which in most power structure designs, it's a resistor. So now that capacitor still acts like a short, but the current that's charging up the cap capacitor is limited by the pre resistor. And then after the capacitor charges up to its nominal voltage, the resistor is usually shorted out through like a relay contact. Now this is in general, right? There's there's always difference in precharge circuits, but in the majority of drives, especially small ones, it's that precharge circuit which is the resistor and there's a relay contact across it. What does this all mean, Dave? Why are you telling me this? Well, I'm telling you this in regards to power line disturbances. So a drive is powered up and it sits idle and along comes, well, a typical one would be like a power factor correction capacitor switching in on the utility someplace. This happens when motors across the line are started up. You gotta compensate for poor power factor. So they switch in these capacitors on the distribution system. Well, if you're not familiar with the behavior of power factor correction caps when they switch in, let me describe what happens. Again, it's a capacitor switching on a power distribution system. And I just told you a capacitor, as soon as you apply a voltage to it, it behaves like a short circuit. What does that do to the voltage on the distribution system when you connect these power factor correction caps to it? It immediately shorts out that voltage. Now, it's a fraction of a cycle of maybe 20 microseconds, but it's enough to drop the voltage instantaneously, and when it recovers, it has a tendency to overshoot. So what does that mean to these drives? Well, that capacitor in the drive will try to charge up to the new peak voltage, and that precharge resistor has been jumpered out, so the current that the capacitor is going to consume is gonna reach levels only limited by the size of the transformer that's supplying voltage to the drive. In examples we give during the power factor correction capacitor switching in on a distribution system, on a nine amp drive, we have seen amperages of hundreds of amps charging up that bus capacitor you can imagine what happened to that five-horsepower drive. It failed. Okay, So that's an example of an event that can happen, and the, the smaller drives, they're at risk the most. What can we do? And you've heard this already, and if you've not heard it, I'm going to tell you now, it's adding an input reactor limits that current to no more than, on a 9-amp drive, no more than maybe 20 amps. It's incredible what an input reactor will do to limit potential destructive current into these drives to amperages that they'll survive. So you hear this, not unusual, recommendation of an input reactor. And that's why you add an input reactor is to prevent failures of the power structure due to a voltage disturbance. In our Drives IN-001 manual, we give you guidelines. Because if you may recall in this episode, I told you that the current, that high amount of current, is a function of the size of the transformer. Okay, So in our Drives IN-01 manual, we give you a table that says for a given drive, voltage, and horsepower, this is the maximum size transformer. Let me clarify that because there's a lot of confusion. This doesn't mean for normal operation that that is the maximum size transformer you can use for this drive. The maximum KVA transformer in that table is selected that in the event of a voltage disturbance, a transformer larger than what we recommend could produce enough current to damage the drive. That's the function of that table. We get several phone calls that says, hey, I'm putting this drive on a transformer larger than the maximum KVA recommended. Am I gonna have a problem with its functionality? And the answer is no. The purpose of that is during a voltage disturbance, transformers larger than that maximum recommended could produce damaging current during a voltage transient interruption. If you selected voltage, category in a drive horsepower and say it transformer of maximum kva is 100 kva and your transformer is 500 kva that means the transformer exceeded our maximum recommendation in the next column we provide you a catalog number of an input reactor to apply reliable and dependable under voltage disturbance conditions that's pretty helpful then,
0: because I, I think that does come up quite a bit as we see these recommendations and sometimes it's taken as this is how you must install your system. But I, I think that's really helpful to know that we don't require that transformer sizing, but really it's it's that guidance to avoid these issues that, that you're describing. And I, I don't know how clear that is. Or how well understood that is, because oftentimes we get asked also, this is the recommendation, but what is the consequence of not following that? So as a result, oftentimes they try to adhere directly to those recommendations as requirements, when really there's a lot of variables is what it sounds like. And there's some science that can be applied to determine if we are in the okay, or if there's other things that we need to worry about and how to mitigate some of those additional challenges. Absolutely. So I, I always seen a
1: guy asking you, Dave, about grounding. <laughs> it jumpers in our drives. Right. What's that all about? How's that dependent on the type of transformer or grounding system?
2: Here we go on the topic of grounding again. Really short story of grounding. Some people refer to me as the grounding expert. I'll have colleagues in tech support come over to me and go, uh, Dave. I have a problem and -and so-and-so said, you're the grounding expert. And I go, wait a minute, I'm not a grounding expert. My two sons are grounding experts. And they go, oh, are they like PhDs in electrical engineering? I go, no, no, no way. I mean, they barely graduated from high school. And then they give me a funny look like, wow, how did they learn all this stuff? Well, my sons were grounding experts because they were from the age of Uh, toddler to probably 18 they were grounded half their life so no one knows grounding better than gabe and aaron (laughs) shout out to gabe and aaron listening at home (laughs) so topic of grounding and jumpers on adjustable speed drives this is really important and user's manual if you gain anything on these episodes as podcasts is i need a copy of the user manual Because Dave Dahl said, I need to do something. I need to look at something. There's an action I need to take. All right. And in our user manual, we ask you to determine the grounding configuration of your transformer. Because based on how that transformer is grounded, you have to take action. And then action is to look at some jumpers in the drive and determine whether they need to be installed or removed. Okay, background on this, and this is with just about anybody's drive today, they have components that are connected to the ground terminal. That under certain conditions, grounding conditions of the transformer, these components either can be installed or they have to be removed. This will prevent failures if you take this action. If you don't take this action, it could lead to failures, and you don't want that. Again, when you purchase a drive, I want it to be dependable and reliable. I want it to last a long time. So please, in our user's manuals for our drive product, we ask you to determine the grounding configuration of the transformer. And based on that, you have to look at some jumper locations and either remove some jumpers or install them. I'm not going to go much into details because you may not remember this. If anything you remember from this episode is, hey, you said, user's manual, I got to check, I got to do something. I got to look at some comp- stuff on this drive. Yes, you remember it, please. Grounding configuration of the is really gets confusing. We don't understand it. Voltages brought into your facility, usually from the utility, and then it's usually a higher voltage and it has to be stepped down because we're talking about low voltage drives here. So whether it's a 400 volt, 240, 600 volt, it's got to be stepped down. And it does this through a device called a transformer. The transformer has a primary winding and a secondary winding. That secondary winding will have Wiring configurations that bond elements of that transformer. It may bond elements of that transformer to your safety ground or your, your facility ground, or it may not. There might be no connection from that transformer secondary winding to your ground system. Or in some cases, they put a resistor. They call that a high resistance ground in there. Okay. I get this. It's like, I don't know. I didn't know I had a transformer in my facility, to, yeah, I know I got a transformer, but I don't know if it's grounded or not. If you're one of those two conditions, you don't know what a transformer is or you got a transformer and you don't know whether it's grounded, find somebody who can help you out. Find an electrical contractor that can do this, that has experience looking at transformers to determine whether they're grounded, ungrounded, or high-resistance ground. If you're not familiar with Transformers do not start taking covers off of transformers and looking at them yourself. Hire a electrical contractor that's got the uh, he's electrically safe he's got the training to do this and he can look at this now some indications of whether it's grounded high resistance ground or ungrounded could be in electrical drawings you might have a power one line of your facility again if you're not familiar with these terminology because i I hope you sense that. Primarily, safety is my biggest concern here, that if you're not familiar with these terminology, and I told you it's important to know whether they're grounded, ungrounded, and you got to take some action with these jumpers, find a contractor, talk to your drive distributor, drive specialist, or a Rockwell salesperson that can help you determine this. But you need to take some action to make sure that these jumpers are in uh, properly inserted. It's real important. And I got to tell you, Rockwell's not the only dry manufacturer that is asking their customers to look at the grounding configuration of transformers. And an action has to be taken. So that takes care of power distribution system environment. The last section is the atmospheric environment.
1: Let, let's say we do everything right from podcast number one to what you just talked about, protecting the drive, grounding, bonding, right cable, shielded everything's perfect, and you mount it in a NEMA-1 enclosure in a highly moisture, wet, damp environment. Is that a good thing? No,
2: it's not. It's not a good thing. We get drives returned from customers that have failed, and we discover it's environmental issues. It's uh, three or four things that can reduce the life of of a drive product related to the atmosphere is heat moisture if you don't know this water and electricity just don't mix. so water can reduce the life cell phones are a little bit better but i still would not like to see my cell phone fall in the lake or the ocean right or any electronics that i have it's the same way with the drive and then the atmosphere the particulate you see pollution and then the stuff you can't see in the atmosphere like corrosive gases all those things can reduce the life of a a drive. And it's more important today than it was years ago. Years ago, drives were these mammoth large boxes and conductors were some conductor of L1 or power coming in between phase 1 and phase 2 were separated by inches on the input and the output circuit board traces were separated by quite a bit of differences. So the the voltage required or the contamination required to fill up those voids had to be a lot. Now you look at a VFD today, it's more compact. But as you know, the voltage rating hasn't changed. It's a 480 volt drive or a 600 volt drive. You've got those voltage potential differences in that power structure, but now the distances between those points are a lot closer. So the same amount of contamination that filled up a drive from 25 years ago and never caused damage to it, if that entered a drive today, that would break down clearance distances between high voltages on the input and the output. And then also what changed is the material we use in manufacturing drives today. We don't use lead anymore. We use silver because of the environment. And silver becomes a little exposed to corrosive gases. It corrodes a little bit quicker than lead does. So life of a drive when exposed to corrosive gases can be reduced substantially compared to drives manufactured, say, 25, 30 years ago. You got to keep an eye on what type of environment you're going to install a drive in. And The basic thing I tell people is keep it cool. Keep it clean and keep it dry. Keep it cool. Keep it clean and keep it dry. Again, I had a customer send a drive in for repair and the repair people looked at it and they they said, you know, this drive failed because when we took the cover off, it was full of dust and debris. And the customer said, well, that couldn't have been from my cabinet because when I opened up my cabinet, you know, it's, it's a painted white cabinet and everything you can see the white you can you could eat off the floor of the cabinet and we go like well yeah that's because the drives inside the cabinet are the vacuum cleaner and the inside of the drive is the vacuum bag (laughs) so it keeps your cabinet clean but you know the drive shouldn't be used as the uh, vacuum and that's another reason we get drives are smaller today they still produce heat and we got to get the heat out and we have fans to keep it cool. So the fans will attract contamination and we do our best. Our drives, the circuit boards are conformally coated. So small electronic components do have some preventable substance on it to prevent particulate from shorting out those small microprocessor and small surface mount devices. But there are certain components on the drive where we can't conformally coated because the connection is a current carrying conduction, and we can't have a conformal code insulate those. So we do our best in conformally coding, but it's not an open invitation. Just because you hear it's conformally coded, now you can let all the dust and dirt in because it's protected. Do not make that assumption. There is a limitation of how much can accumulate before it starts reducing the life of drive. And just think about it. It's also the accumulation of dirt, even though it's conformally coated, will reduce the conduction of heat off of heat producing components. So if you put a a layer of dirt on it, the components will heat up a little more and you'll lower the life of it. So let's keep it cool. Let's keep it clean and let's keep it dry.
0: We recently introduced our XT drives, which have an enhanced corrosion resistance. So some of those components that you talked about, we were actually successful in working with suppliers on developing corrosion-resistant components, so not just conformal coating, which is pretty well accepted in the standard practice in the industry, but all of these changes that we're describing with modern electronics and the challenges with the environment, we have a, a new solution that's really exciting that we'll probably save for a separate standalone episode all around the challenges with corrosion there. But certainly these environmental aspects are things that we need to be aware of going to tee up maybe a question to you as we start to, to wrap up and I'll let you add some closing comments, but I, I can't help but think every one of these items that we're talking about, it's a lot easier to implement the measures to mitigate these risks on the front end versus the tail end. Could you maybe describe some of the engagements you've had where you had to find what was going on? Because it's probably not clear. When a drive is having an issue, which one of these best practices was missed?
2: Well, I could do probably a couple hours on field issues I've been involved with that. Boy, if you would have done this. Uh, A classic one, Jim, is a facility that recently installed 700 horsepower drives. And every time they ran the drive, the fire alarm would go off. And the fire department would show up, right? Because it's, it's linked to the fire department, right? And they'd show up and then no, there's no fire, right? And it's just these VFDs, when we run them, they interfere with the fire alarm system. So they had to disengage the fire alarm system to run these drives. And then they had to hire a person or a couple people to work two shifts and be in the facility 24 hours a day. Those individuals were the fire alarm. If there was a fire, that individual would have to call the fire department. So I helping this customer out in the solutions, it was electromagnetic emissions coming off between the drive and the motor. It was quite a long distance, several hundred feet. And the customer comes up to me and goes, you know, if I would have used shear the cable at the initial installation, do you think I would have had the problem? Now, of course, I'm an engineer and there's no absolute, right? I can't say, well, Yeah. Your problem would have went away, but I could explain to him the functionality of the shielded cable containing the emissions and preventing them from going into the fire alarm system. And most likely, along with attenuating the emissions and using a shielded cable, most likely he wouldn't have had a fire alarm issue. And you can imagine 700 horsepower to pull out all the individual conductors and put shielded cable would have been quite an expense and delay of operation. So that's one example of emissions being a problem. Well, you put me on the yeah. spot, Jim. So <laughs> that's the first one. I No, think that,
0: that's good. And I, that was really the point I was trying to make is that finding these problems after the fact, finding the source of them is really the hard part. It, it seems so straightforward to say, we'll just follow these best practices and you won't have anything to worry about. But oftentimes when we do get engaged, we find out that the best practices either weren't known or they weren't followed. And sometimes it's a cost-based decision where they undersize things or try to optimize it for the cost of the initial investment, but it never seems to pay out in the long run here is uh, really what I was trying to, to get to there. But definitely some good ideas to be looking out for as we're specifying new projects or working with our suppliers, whether they're machine builders or integrators, And they're doing the selection of our systems for us that all of these different aspects are in consideration for the solution, not just product selection, but really that solution focus.
2: Right. They take a risk by not following all our guidelines and recommendations, and they got to weigh the risk versus the cost of implementing that. There's a little bit of evaluation I think, I think in Rockwell, we do good, better, best. For example, I said a shielded cable, right, between the drive and the motor. But we would discourage the use of individual conductors. But we don't say you don't do it. You know, if there's no sensitive electronic equipment, say it's in a, in a corner of a warehouse and it just runs a fan and a guy goes up to the drive every day and pushes the green button and the motor is right next to the drive, most likely he doesn't need shielded cable between the drive and the motor. So you got to look at, you got to look at each in, in installation.
0: Right. Makes sense. I know we've got a lot of people out there in the field between our distributors, between our Rockwell Automation technical subject matter experts, as well as uh, tech support that gets engaged with a lot of these calls. And I think that's probably the the first step is that we want to encourage our audience to be aware of the documents and the guidance that we have put out there that, A lot of it has remained unchanged over the years as we've been providing drives to industry. But also that when there is a question, we have channels for them to reach out to and talk to a person to make sure that we are understanding the scope uh, and some of the challenges there. Now, we can't completely engineer a system over the phone. There's probably a, a service that should be paid for to do that in its entirety but definitely answering some of these questions and some clarifications in the the materials I think is, is appropriate.
2: A classic example of, again, how important it is to use a user manual when installing drives. And we talk about the environment and heat being uh, a major contributor, excessive heat being a major contributor to lowering the life of the drive. And this is probably one of the most common violations we've seen in cabinets is the separation, the distance Clearance distances between drives and anything above, below, and to the right and to the left of the drive. We've seen this a lot. We've drives returned and we see thermal damage to the circuit boards. We open up the drive cabinet, and guess what's right above the drive it is the wireway, right? And so we have clearance distance specifications. And that means if we say nothing between four inches above the drive, it has to be open. A wire way is something. It will obstruct the airflow, the heat flow from the drive, either above and below it. So, Jim, that's another good example uh, we see is, boy, if you would have followed our user manual for clearance distances above, below, to the right, to the left, you would have extended the life of these drives to what you expected them to be.
0: Those are great points there. And I I think that helps to really add the last point, which is to explain why we have all these recommendations, but there might not immediately be a cause and effect associated with them. We've just done it enough where we don't feel the need to explain, just do it this way. But understanding that it's more than just heat dissipation, that it's electrical magnetic interference, that it's these other issues that can come into play. When we talk about best practices, it isn't just temperature which is very critical as we described with our uh, environmental aspect here but this really helps put into context what i think at least are very complicated topics but helps it to be a little bit more digestible but of course we can always recommend reading the complete manual if your heart <laughs> desires to our listeners here and you don't have to know how a car
1: works to drive one so I exactly coming back to my analogy it, it it can seem uh, a bit overwhelming particularly if you're hearing all of these you know recommendations on these two podcasts for the first time just know the more the more you engage and drive applications the easier this gets
0: we haven't really brought up a big topic that's out there and that's harmonics so for our listeners if you're interested please let us know we would be more than happy to do a single topic on harmonics alone we've got Uh, a lot of different solutions there for mitigating harmonics and the challenges they cause with our electronic devices out there. And really any podcast topic requests, feel free to send that to the email in the description. We will take those into account and include those into future episodes, but we want to make sure that we are answering the questions. We're providing insights on topics that matter to you, our listeners, because that's why we're doing this. I think we're also going to list the uh, references
1: the manual references in the description also, Jim. So thanks so much, Dave, for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk about these topics. My whole goal is to have a customer when they buy a drive or buy a, several drives and they install into the system. I want it to work, <laughs> basically. I want it to work along with all the other electronic industrial automation equipment, and I want the drive to last as long as they want it to last whether it be you know 20 30 years or whether it uh, just be till they're retired
0: (laughs) thank you so much dave appreciate the the time here and the wisdom you've shared with neil and i as well as our listening audience take care i'll talk to you next time Bye bye thank you all